reading today is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's ask for God's help as we begin. Father, we pray that as we come to consider your word to us this evening, that you would call us, cause us to long for the Lord Jesus and the redemption he brings, for we ask this in his name. Amen. One of the biggest differences between us and previous generations is our attitude to waiting. See, our whole society is set up, isn't it? So we don't have to wait. We have Amazon Prime, so the packages come the next day or even on the same day, would you believe? We have streaming, so we don't have to wait for a VHS film to come to the shops. If you don't know what VHS is, ask your parents. (laughs) And we have instant credit, don't we? So we don't have to save up for an item. We can buy it as soon as we want. And we think, therefore that we shouldn't have to wait. Now, every time I go to Aldi at the moment, I'm made to wait for two minutes, and the cashier apologizes to me for making me wait for two minutes. I think you don't need to apologize. I can wait that long. And therefore, to our kind of instant society, Advent, the season of waiting, can seem very strange. Because Advent has traditionally been the season where we wait, not for Christmas, not December the 25th, but we wait for Jesus' return. And I don't know about you, but I I hear that each year, and I go, yes, okay, I must remember, Jesus is going to return. But I struggle to know what to do with that. Yes, I know in my head he will, but actually it doesn't get my heart beating faster, it doesn't get my gut uh, anticipating that day. And the problem is, I think, that I struggle to see why it's worth the wait why I need Jesus to come. And this psalm before us, I think, helps us see why it is such good news that Jesus will return and why it is worth waiting for. I want us to see three things this evening. First of all, that um, we wait in the depths. Secondly, we wait for God to redeem. And thirdly, we wait for the day because Jesus has redeemed that first point, where we wait. We wait in the depths. See, it's called a song of ascent. You'll see that um, before verse one. It's actually in the original, it's verse zero, and it's called a song of ascent. And we think they're called the songs of ascent because people sang them to one another as they ascended up to Jerusalem for the festivals each year or several times a year. And you've got to picture these festivals. They were like December the 25th on steroids. These were huge, week-long events. 
Uh, people would get the whole family together. They would travel up uh, to Jerusalem. They would sing these sort of songs to one another. And it would be a huge moment. But for the psalmist, it's not a happy time. They might ascend with their feet, but they're descending in their heart. Look at what they say in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. See, the psalmist is not on cloud nine, aren't they? They're in the pits of despair. And someone, some of us will know that pain. As everyone's kind of building up for Christmas and the, the merry, happy, jolly time, for some of us, we know that actually our hearts sink deeper and deeper because we know that it's going to be about recycling old memories and grieving what has been lost. Why is the psalmist feeling like this as everyone goes up to Jerusalem? Well, the answer is a surprising one because look at what they're crying for at the end of verse 2. They say, let my ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And look at why they're crying for mercy at the beginning of verse 3. They say this, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? See, in other words, it's not here the kind of depths of suffering. It's not the everyday experience of just being in a world that is fallen. There are lots of Psalms that talk about that, but this is talking about the sort of problem that comes from being close to God. See, they're weighed down by the depths of their sin. You imagine, can't you, this pilgrim, they go up to Jerusalem and they see the temple on the hill in the distance, and it's a magnificent sight. It points to God's otherness, His holiness. But as they approach, they're so conscious that actually their hearts are in a far different place. They think to themselves, God sees everything. He sees even the motives of my heart. And he is perfectly holy. He judges all sin. And so actually, this is not a happy time. This is like being in the depths of the sea. Fortunately, I've never quite experienced the depths of the sea like this psalmist speaks here. But uh, the closest I came was when I was in Spain on a, um, a boat. And I had some friends, or former friends, who thought it was funny to push me off this boat backwards. And uh, it was terrifying because I was completely disorientated. I went in backwards, and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. You just find it very difficult to find the surface. And when I came to the surface, my instinct was to put my feet down, but of course, there was nothing to stand on. And you just feel the water cutting through the sole of your feet. And that's how the psalmist feels here. They look at their heart, they look at their sin, and they look at God's holiness, and they feel like they're plunging into the sea. Perhaps we know that feeling. Perhaps we're in the twilight of our lives, and we're conscious that perhaps in a number of years we will face God ourselves, and we think to ourselves, how can I stand when I know what I've done? Or perhaps we just are someone who goes through life with the heaviness of our sin on our shoulders. We think to ourselves, what if God knows the very thing I have never told another human being about and we feel weighed down? Or maybe 
and I think this is more for me, this is a bit of a corrective. It shows us how we should feel about our sin. But if I'm honest, I don't feel the weight that I should of this psalm. It's very easy, isn't it, to have a kind of nice granddad view of God, thinking that if we do wrong, we can kind of sweet talk him. But actually, that's not the God we meet in Scripture. Here's what John the Baptist says about Jesus' arrival in Matthew's Gospel. He says this, the axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He goes on, Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this is the first advent. This is how John the Baptist introduces Jesus. I mean, it's no surprise this doesn't make it on the advent calendars, does it? Because it's not very uplifting. But actually, that is how we understand God. When we see his holiness, he does come. He does judge sin. And that's the reason, reason one, that we want to think, uh, that's the re- sorry, I'll start again. That's why we want to, to think about uh, Advent, because that is where we find ourselves, not in the heights, not on the podium of our achievements, but in the depths of our sin. But actually, although we find ourselves in the depths, actually things change in this psalm. I'm glad they do, because secondly, we see that actually there is deliverance from the depths, as we see that God can redeem. See, uh, the psalmist uh, approaches the temple, they feel their unworthiness, but they remember to themselves another truth about God, and it comes in verse 4. They say, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. See, the word forgiveness here, it's a very rare word. It's, um, it's a word that only pops up in a few places, places like Leviticus, and it's a word that's kind of connected to the sacrificial system. It's a word that describes someone who is guilty, banged to rights, and so they need an animal to be sacrificed to forgive their sins. So the forgiveness the psalmist is talking about here, he's not saying, look, with you there's a kind of memory loss when it comes to sin. He's not saying, actually, you're a God who brushes over wrongdoing. Rather, he's saying, look, in you, God, there's not only justice against sin, but also you forgive sin, you atone for it. In other words, the same God whose holiness condemns us is the same God who opens his arms to forgive us. Just like the sun, it destroys anything, doesn't it, that is even remotely close to it, but it also gives life in all its variety to every single thing on our planet Now, if you're, a Christ, if you're not a Christian here this evening, we love to have people looking into the Christian faith. We are all in different places, and uh, we hope this is a home for you as you work through some of your questions. But here we really do see the essence of what the Christian faith is about. We are in the depths. We have no leg to stand on. But God himself brings forgiveness. So what do we do with that information? Well, actually, we do nothing. Because verse 5, the psalmist says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits 
And in his word, I will put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. See, the psalmist knows that forgiveness is only found in God alone. And so what do they do? They wait for him to forgive. They find themselves in the darkness of the sea, completely at God's mercy. All they can do is wait. They wait, as the psalmist says, like the watchmen wait for the morning. I was uh, in York yesterday, and uh, York, if you've ever been, has got these huge walls uh, built by the Romans, I, I understand, around the city, and I was explaining to my kids that there's these huge doorways, uh, and the gates would close on the city. Uh, people would go up to the walls, archers would go up to the walls and protect the city uh, during the night. At uh, The night was a time of threat, and it was, the, it was the job of the watchmen to go up on the walls and to watch over the city. And in fact, the watchmen, you hope, don't really have much to do, do they? All their job is to do is to watch, to wait. See, they wait for the dawn because they know with the coming of the dawn, uh, safety returns to the city. And the dawn comes whether the watchmen do anything or not. It happens automatically. Their job is to watch and to wait for it. And the psalmist is in a similar position. They know the only hope for their salvation is in God acting. And now they're standing watching for it. They don't underplay their sin, thinking, well, how bothered is God anyway? They don't try themselves to work out their sin, kind of atone for it by doing good things. They know that only God can forgive sin. And so they wait for it. The question is, do we long for that redemption like this psalmist does? It's very easy, isn't it, to get kind of consumed with our sin, to be so conscious of how we've stuffed up and to carry it with us. Or it's easy to get comfortable with sin, thinking, well, God's not done anything about it so far, so it's probably okay. But the psalmist doesn't either, does he? He doesn't underplay the problem but nor there's one hint of him doubting the solution because he knows God will redeem. We wait in the depths. We wait for deliverance. But thirdly and finally, we see that that waiting uh, has changed because of the coming of the Lord Jesus. See, thirdly and finally, we see that this psalm ends in a very different place to where it started, doesn't it? Because it starts in the depths, but look at how it finishes uh, in verse 7. The psalmist says this, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, the, the phrase that's used there is kind of multiple, redemption. So there is full forgiveness, not just a little bit, not just partial, but full forgiveness. But what's not resolved in this psalm is how that forgiveness comes. See, they've not left the depths, have they? They're still in the depths. They just know that God will show his forgiveness. But of course, centuries later, we see how this forgiveness comes. Shortly after Jesus' birth, his parents ascend up to Jerusalem themselves uh, to declare, uh, dedicate him to the Lord. And at the temple, they meet someone called Anna, a prophetess, and 
She's been waiting for the Lord's redemption for years and years. She's a widow, 84, I think she is. And she sees Jesus through her clouded vision, and she points with a wrinkled hand, and Luke says this about her. Coming up to Jesus' parents at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She says, this is him. This long-promised redemption has come in this child. Here he is. And that redemption came three decades later as Jesus grew and as he went to his death. See, there is actually one person we could see in answer to the verse, uh, question of verse 3, isn't there? Uh, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? We could say, well, Jesus could stand. His heavenly Father said about him, here is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And yet he did not stand in his Father's presence. He was plunged into the depths of his Father's condemnation. Jesus cried from those depths, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But unlike the psalm, no one heard his voice. No one heard his cries for mercy. His father's ears were closed. And yet in going to those depths, Jesus redeemed us so that we never have to face them. See, that the very forgiveness the psalm waits for is the very forgiveness that Jesus has brought in his death. And that means for us, as we find ourselves in the depths, perhaps convicted of our sin, or or perhaps just conscious of how much we've failed God, we can stand, we can cry out to God, knowing he hears, not because we can lift ourselves out the depths, but because Jesus has already done so. See, why wait Jesus. Why do Advent? Because of where we are in the depths, because of what God will do, redeem, and because what Jesus has achieved. Now, I don't know how you are approaching this Advent this year. I mean, in some sense, it's felt like two years uh, of Advent, hasn't it, as we get get gear up for this Christmas. And um, we should be rightly excited. It's hopefully COVID-willing and God willing, uh, are going to be a good moment. But of course, what, we always got to ask that question, haven't we? What are we ultimately waiting for? Yes, there is going to be a day where I'm going to be stuffed with turkey, and I'm going to open my Amazon Prime deliveries, and it's going to be great. But actually, there is something far deeper, isn't there, to look forward to? Knowing that if I'm honest with myself, I am in the depths. Knowing that I have a God who has come into this world in the person of Jesus, to redeem me. And knowing that because of his death and resurrection, I can one day stand in his presence without fear, never having to cry myself for mercy. The question is, do we know that? Do we long for that as a church? If we're not a Christian, this offer is for all. It's not we have to go through some special sort of procedure to become a Christian. It is just praying what this psalm prays. I am in the depths. God, you can redeem. And seeing that in Jesus, that is true for us. 
And if we are Christians, well, this is our song, isn't it? It's a song we want to encourage one another with, saying, look, we know we're in the depths. We know we've failed. But actually, we have a God who has redeemed. And we know that because of the Lord Jesus. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. But with you, there is forgiveness. And so we pray, our Father, as the psalm encourages us to hear that we would put our hope in you for your unfailing love, that you would give us full confidence of your ability to redeem our sins as we look at the Lord Jesus and his death. And we pray, Father, that we would be a church who encourages one another, even when we find ourselves, as the psalm does here, in the depths, to look to the coming dawn of the Lord Jesus, who we ask in his name. Amen. Great. We're going to um, answer some questions now. Thank you for those um, who did send those in. Um, we're going to have a quick go. Rob didn't get much of time uh, to think them through, so um, do please bear with him, um, and I'm sure he'll do his best to answer your questions. Great. Ready to start? No. Okay. <laughs> give you a second. Ready to go? Yeah. Great. We'll start with this one. Um, oh, it's moving. Ah. Uh, there it is. What does waiting actually look like? So how do I know I'm waiting for Christ's return rather than just going through life and letting time pass? Well, that's a really good question, and I guess that's the right question to be asking off the back of this. Um, what does waiting look like? Um, I mean, interestingly, in Romans, Paul uses uh, this uh, kind of idea to speak about... Um, someone could help me where it is. Verse... Ah. Yeah, chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, Paul says, The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because salvation is nearer now than we f when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so he goes on to say this, Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And goes on to describe what that looks like. So um, I guess it's like anything. If you know a big exam's coming, you know you've got to start doing a revision timetable. If you know a holiday's coming, uh, you're probably going to do some planning about what you're going to do. You're going to do the holiday shop. Do you do the holiday shop? Buy the new shirts and that type of thing. Um, if you know you've got a flight to catch, you're going to plan your route to the airport, that type of thing. If you know Jesus is going to return and we're kind of on the cusp of the dawn, actually that changes everything, doesn't it? Because we know that actually this world is not, um, as it is, is not the end. We know there's a great hope to come. And we know that um, actually people need to hear about him. So that, that's some examples. But do look at Romans 13, verse 11. Great. That's really helpful. Brilliant. Uh, next question. I'm going to pick one randomly because we didn't get through which one I'm going to do. So um, regarding the question in verse 3, uh, did the Jews know that their, uh, know their coming Messiah uh, could stand even though we didn't know it was Jesus? They didn't know it was Jesus. Does that question make sense? Not sure I get that, and that probably is my inability to understand plain English. So um, please forgive me. I'm not quite sure I get that, unless... I don't know. I, I guess, it, is it talking about, did they know that their saviour was able to save them, the, the coming saviour that was promised? I don't know. Is that, if that was a question... Well, I'll, I'll answer that question anyway. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the whole, when you see, and I, I spoke about Anna in the temple, she waited her whole life, or pretty much the whole life, there's another prophet, Simeon, um, who looks and speaks of Jesus 
there was this kind of big anticipation that actually this Redeemer was going to come. Um, I guess for lots of people, he didn't come in the same, in the shape and size that they thought he might. He came in weakness, not power. Uh, it came in defeat, not victory. It came through death, not life, uh, to give us life. So, Brilliant. There we are. Great. Come and grab me afterwards if I didn't answer your question. Great. Um, how about this one? Why is more than, uh, more than watchmen wait for the morning repeated in the psalm? Because this is a song. So we've just got a bet out of mind. I know we're reading it, and thankfully I'm not singing it to you. But <laughs> these are a collection of songs. So, um, you know, if we were to unter- uh, unearth um, our songs from today, 2,000 years in, in the future, we may not know the tune, but we would read them and we'd read... I don't know, baby, 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 ooh. <laughs> um, uh, and we think, why is baby, baby repeated? But it kind of just works. Um, sorry. <laughs> so um, more than the watchman is the kind of, it's, it's kind of a song and it's to emphasize this image of actually we're waiting for the redemption to come. Great. I want to know what songs you're, you're listening to. <laughs> Great. Uh, how about this one for another one? Uh, why did you pick this psalm to look at over all the others? Oh, what a great question. Um, I love... So this is a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. Uh, it runs from 120 to 132. And this is probably one of my favourite parts of the whole of Scripture because, um, it, as I say, it speaks about this ascent up to Jerusalem. And we don't do a pilgrimage uh, in the same way up to Jerusalem. We're not called to follow those festivals of the Old Testament. But we are, in a sense, on a pilgrimage through this life to our heavenly Jerusalem. And these psalms are just so helpful at showing what life is like. So like the one today is pretty somber. It shows us the, the hardship that comes, uh, but also lifts us to the Lord. Next week, we're going to look at another one of these uh, about how, why we, uh, how we wait. And I just find these really helpful for my own personal uh, walk through this life to think actually this is what it looks like yeah i think it's also incredible how that that passage is is so applicable to them then and us still now it's, yes it's great yes it's it is very yeah. helpful very Genius. encouraging yeah. yeah great <laughs> time for one more yeah go for it great Thank one you. last one uh it moved where did it go there it is um does the word feared in this passage mean the same as the word uh feared today uh yeah i guess yeah so we hear fear and we think kind of cowering submission um, or the sort of fear that comes from someone who's angry. It's not that sort of fear. It's a, it's a kind of fear you have for the sea. It's a fear you have for when you look at the universe. It's that kind of reverence. Um, so when it says, uh, but with you there's forgiveness, uh, I think yeah, the psalmist is saying, uh, because there is forgiveness, we, we rightly revere you. Um, and it is kind of strange he says that because actually you might expect him to say, look, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? Therefore, you're feared. But actually, it's his forgiveness that causes uh, us to, to fear him. Um, I could get very carried away with that. But it is interesting, isn't it? As Jesus comes, the thing that's, that terrifies people more than anything is actually his ability to forgive sins. So um, Peter falls on his knees when he sees Jesus uh, and uh, says, away, away from me. Um, actually, that's, that's the more terrifying thing. Um, but having said that, it's not kind of bad fear. It's, it's, it's fear which is 
um, in its right place because God forgives. Yeah, sort of a respectful fear of knowing God's power and his might and majesty, I guess. Yeah, and forgiveness as well. Yeah, and yeah, forgiveness. Yeah, thank you, Leon. That's Great. much clearer. Thank Brilliant. you. Great. Great. Thanks, Thank Rob. you.